Jesus, again today, we want to thank you as we remember the moment that you came into our lives and rescued us, put your arms around us. We thank you. You didn't despise the condition we were in. You didn't criticize us. You didn't condemn us. But with that love that you have, that's so infinite, so immeasurable, so magnificent, so accepting, Lord, that love covered us. It went through us. It cleaned our soul in a moment and separated us from all of the sin that was holding us back from you. And suddenly we were caught in a love embrace that's never let us go. Some of us have been walking with you for many years now and we can look back over all of the times and all of the variations of life and that love is still as strong today as when we first encountered it. We thank you Lord that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We thank you this is not the words of a man This is the words of God. This is the declaration of heaven. It's unbreakable. Lord, we thank you that no sin, no failure, no circumstance in life, no situation that perplexes us can ever separate us from the wonderful love of God the Father that is in Christ. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus. That's why we keep turning up here every week. Just to say thank you. Oh, just to pay you honor, we worship you today. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's give him a shout, church. Let's give him an applause that's worthy of his name. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. And come on, let's give these guys a huge round of applause. What a a wonderful, wonderful blessing they've been to us this morning. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus comes into our lives and sets us free. Hallelujah. There's all kinds of things in life that want to captivate you. There's all kinds of things in life that want to hold you back. Life is very unpredictable. It comes all of a sudden with lots of different things. And before you know it, when you're walking down through life as you're uh, getting older and as as the years are passing, we pick up things and suddenly before we know it, we can get captured and captivated and caught in things that won't let go of us. Jesus said very clearly, whom the Son sets free in John chapter 8, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Those words have not changed. That promise with time will never grow old. It's relevant to every age and stage of life. It's relevant to every generation. It's a timeless promise. Just like every promise that God makes, they're timeless. So you can look in the the Bible... The Bible, the book that people call outdated and irrelevant, and yet it's still the number one bestseller in the world. I wonder why. It's still the most stolen book 
Not only the most bought book, the most stolen book in the world is the Bible. I wonder why. I'll tell you why, friends. Because it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has timeless truths, timeless promises that are full, that are teeming over to enrich our lives. Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I'm telling you now, he's in this place and he's speaking this word to us. He wants to set us free. He wants to uh, enlarge our lives. He wants, us, he wants to take us from the, the small places, the enclosed places, the hidden places that we run away and hide to. He wants to bring us out into the open. He wants to spread our wings so that we can soar, like Isaiah said, like eagles, so that we can run. And not grow weary so we can walk and not grow faint. God wants us to experience a wonderful dimension of life in freedom that he has for us. He's bought and paid for it. He doesn't, he doesn't get any glory or any pleasure in any area of our lives remaining bound or imprisoned or down in the dust. God gets glory from us experiencing the full riches that Jesus Christ died to purchase for you and I. So why not begin to expect a full life? Why not begin to expect the best of your life for the rest of your life because of what God has done in Christ Jesus for you and me? Hallelujah! No looking back, friends. No looking back over your shoulder. Paul said this, forgetting the things that are behind. A free life, an empowered life has this wonderful ability that God gives us, enabling us to forget what's behind. You don't have to look over your shoulder at all of the wrong things that you've done and all of the complications of life and be pulled down by it and be pulled back by it. You can forget about it. God does. He says, as far as the east is from the west... I will remember your sins no more. All of your failure, all of your discouragement, all of that old stuff that used to characterize all of us. God says, I bring closure on it in the cross and I've forgotten about it. That's why you'll always get a smile on God's face when he sees you. You'll never get a scowl from God. You'll never get an angry response from God. You'll get mercy. You'll get goodness. You'll get kindness. You'll get favor. You'll get love like, like nowhere else. He's wonderful. He loves us, you see. He's forgotten about all of that stuff that caused us to run away from his love, he's forgotten about it. And why, why, why do we keep remembering all of the things that God has chosen to forget? We don't have to remember anything that God has chosen to forget. Now people will say, well, no, you can't do that. They'll box God in. They'll, they'll, they'll give you their list of rules about God and they'll, they'll turn him into this ugly caricature. God is not angry with his people. God is not angry with this world. He sent his son to demonstrate his love. He sent his son so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. All you've got to do is believe and receive. It's that simple. It's that good. It's that easy. Believe and receive. said to you last week, the Old Testament is all about obeying uh, uh, obeying and behaving 
And it was, it was an impossible pursuit. Why? Because they were trying to obey and behave with a system within themselves that gave them no power. But Jesus came and he says, I've come that you might have life. Just believe it, receive it. The obedience will come. And the behavior will change because I will change you right at the core of your being. And that's what he does by the work of his Holy Spirit. Just believe and receive. Believe and receive. Just take it. Don't listen to their, their, their list of duties that they want to give you. Don't, lis- don't listen to all of the performance stuff that they want you to adhere to. Don't listen to it. Just believe and receive. Read the scriptures. Believe it and receive it. And it's yours, my friends. It's that simple. It's that easy. And let no man, let no woman, let no devil in hell complicate the simplicity of the gospel. It's simple. It's wonderful. It's beautifully simple. It's beautifully magnificent. It's wonderful. It really is. Now this morning I want to talk a little bit about the miraculous. Because freedom is a miracle. It really is. When you experience the power and the life of Jesus inside of you, setting you free from things that are holding you back and limiting you and, and pulling you down. It's, it's a miraculous experience. I want to talk to you about the miraculous this morning. Now, when you look at miracles in the Bible, you see that they're messy things. Miracles are messy. They really are. They're not neat and tidy they're not, you know, they, you don't get them packaged up in a nice little neat package like our world would have you believe. Miracles are messy. When you look through the scriptures of people that received the miraculous touch, the miraculous encounter of God in their lives, you see the mess of life around them, within them. And then suddenly you see the power of God, the encounter of God, ripping through the mess. And the power of God's a messy thing. It's not even tidy. You can't box it up and package it up and keep it nice and neat and tidy and orderly. It's messy. The power of God just rips into places, rips into your home, rips into your life and changes you forever. It's not orderly. It doesn't knock on the door and say, say you know, can I come in please? It just rips in to the chaos of life. And it brings wonder. And it brings awesome power. And it, 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 it opens your, your whole experience of life to another dimension. Another dimension. The miraculous is messy. The power of God is messy. People that are hungry for a miracle. People that are hungry to encounter God. They're messy too because they've got a fire and a passion that, that, that's in their heart, that's alive inside their heart, that is undeterred. It'll go through every barrier. It'll go through every obstacle. It'll go through every hindrance to encounter what God has for them. I remember, you know, the, I'm sure we could all talk about miracles here this morning if we went around the room. But I remember one day just how messy a miracle was in our home. My brother and I were living with our grandparents up in Ebony. And uh, it was just a normal day. There was nothing unusual about the day when we woke up. But everything was about to hit the fan in the home. 
And I remember my nan crying out, Your grandfather's dead. Your grandfather's dead. Crying on the bed. You remember that, John? He remembers it. And I'm just looking, man. I'm just, I mean, just wondering what's happening. A normal day. You get up in the morning and there's peace all around you. You have your breakfast. You go through the routine of life. But you see, life is, is sometimes it's very unpredictable. Sometimes things come on you all of a sudden. But isn't it great, like Faye said this morning, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. He's the great physician. He's the master of the storm. He's the one that can come into a dungeon and open every prison door when we praise him. And I'm just looking around, wondering, your grandfather's dead. And in comes my brother, just laughing. I'll never forget it. Laughing, couldn't stop laughing. Laughing his head off. He's not dead, he said. He's dead. He's not dead. And he looked at the body on the bed, which was dead, friends. It was dead. They tra- my nan tried to get a pulse. My brother even tried to get a pulse. And, but he was laughing uncontrollably. And I'm thinking, ooh, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen here. I've never shared this story. I wonder what's going to happen here. He's not dead. No, he's not dead. Grump, get up. In the name of Jesus. And he starts coughing and waking and spluttering and stuttering. Grump was dead for a few minutes. But the power of God came into that room. The joy of the Lord entered and walked into the room And Grant wasn't dead anymore. Now you see, people can argue with it. Hey, go ahead. I don't believe that. I don't care. I'm not here to convince you. I saw it with my own eyes. I I don't care whether people believe that. You see, people with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a person with an argument. I'm telling you the testimony of the scriptures and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Will stand up to any argument, friends. It will stand up to any debate. And we may not be able to argue intellectually how that can happen. I haven't got a clue how it can happen. But my testimony and my experience of life and my memory, as I look back in that room when I saw my grandfather dead on that bed, my brother walked in in the anointing and the power of the Spirit, laughing his head off, get up in Jesus' name, and he got up, friends. He got up. I'm not saying that that can happen every time. I don't know why it happened on that, on that occasion, but it happened. There are some people that will rise from the dead. And there are some people that won't. Probably, I don't know, but maybe more won't rise from the dead than will rise from the dead. But there are occasions where God chooses to raise people from the dead miracles are messy it was messy it was chaotic when my nan started to cry out and scream that her husband was dead do you think that's nice 
Do you think that's pleasant? That's a crisis right there. That's, that's hellish. That's not God. You're experiencing hell. You're experiencing sorrow. You're experiencing the loss of a loved one right there. Hellish. But suddenly the encounter and the anointing of the Spirit of God comes in and changes everything. That is the gospel that we preach. That is the power of God that's in every single one of you, friends. It's in every one of us. It's in every one of us. There is an anointing that abides within you. What abides within apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers? Yeah, it abides in them. But John wasn't just writing to the Ephesians for ministry gifts. He was writing to the whole church. There is an anointing that abides within you, whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. For the anointing will teach you concerning anything. All things, what do you need to know about? Ask the anointing. What do you need to overcome? Ask the anointing that is within you. It abides within you. It enables you to reign and conquer and rule in life. And raise dead bodies when they need to be raised. There was another occasion, and my mum and dad are at the back. When my died, she was dead in Portugal. This was many years ago. My father was there tell you now on his knees crying two children fast asleep in bed his wife dead on the floor dead on the floor friends miracles are messy miracles aren't you know what what we present them to be they're a mess the power of God rips into the mess of life and you know it as well as I do you know how messy life can be. You know how, how life can change all of a sudden. And suddenly you go from a victorious chant of faith. And you're crying out to God on the floor. Oh God, do something. Help me. And you're in the hellishness of life. And it's in those moments that God comes. Miracles are messy. Miracles are messy. And he prayed and he cried out to God. And he laid his hands on her. And she came back. She came back. Not everybody will come back. But I'm telling you now, we serve a God who can conquer death. Who is not, he is not at the mercy of death, let me tell you. He is not at the mercy of death. Death has not got the last say over God. Sickness in our bodies has not got the last say. Come on, church. Come on, church. If you're, if you, if, if you're feeling down in your mind, start to ask God. Go, just, just a quiet prayer. Oh, God, I believe you. You can help me. He's stirring you up through me. He's stirring your faith to believe the promises. Your life is never going to be the same. You're not going to live in a restricted box. You're coming out of that cage. You're not going to be bound. You're not going to stay in that chrysalis forever. The butterfly is going to break out. It's going to expand. The life inside you is too big for the restrictions that are on you and you are going to fly you are going to soar and all of the colors of Christ are going to shine through your life and this world is going to see it and the words that Jesus said are going to come true when they see you friends you're going to be like a city on a hill attractive an advert for the most high God his life inside you not going to be held back you're not going to be held down no this world will do that and sometimes, you know, we've just been feeding on the sewage pipe, the sewer of this world, drinking it in. Just drinking in all of that muck. But the Bible says there is a river that makes glad. 
the city of God. You've just got to change what you're drinking. Change what you're drinking and accept it and receive it. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Miracles, you see. Miracles are messy. Now, I just want to talk to you about four little things that seem to be in many of the miracles that are found in the Bible. Just four little things. And sometimes you can, you can see them very clearly, and they're very ordered, and they're very systematic. Sometimes they happen one after another. One, two, three, four. Other times, they happen all at once. Other times, in other miracles in the Bible, they just seem, number four goes to number one, and number one goes to number three, and number two goes to number four, and they all get swapped around. There seems to be four simple things in a miracle that constitutes a miracle. And if you want, if you're at a place right now, you say, I need a miracle. I need a miracle in my work. I need a miracle in my home. I need a miracle in my health, in my body. I need the supernatural power of God to come on my life and make a change. Wonderful. He's not going to hold it back. He's not going to hold it back. Four simple things. Found, seen in most miracles that you see in the Bible. First, first thing I want us to think about is this. The acknowledgement of need. When God is going to do a miracle, there has to be an acknowledgement of need. You have to acknowledge that you're in need. You have to come to a place where you're at the end of yourself and you're crying out. It's not a nice place. In fact, it's an awful place. It's a humiliating place. The proud know nothing of this place. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he assists the humble. Imagine having God resist you. Imagine walking down life with no acknowledgement that you need anything from him. And you walk down proud and stubborn and strong and arrogant. I can get through this circumstance because... I'm, I'm in charge. I can get through this crisis because I'm in control. I got through it last time. I'll get through it again. Hardened pride, no acknowledgement of need, no acknowledgement that God is, is an ever-present help in times of trouble. A bit like Pharaoh, your heart hardens and you become stronger and more grounded in your pride and your arrogance. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm just going to do this myself. I've done it before and I will do it again. The Bible says very clearly, Old Testament, my friend, and new, it's in both. God resists that kind of attitude. God resists the proud. But conversely, imagine now, having a humble heart, crying and breaking your heart in sorrow. Your friends know it. You can't hide it. There's an acknowledgement of need that, that, that flows over your life and flows out. You, it, it, it's evident to all that you're in need. It's, it's a hard thing because you're at a vulnerable place and you can't hold it back and people know it. 
And it's not a nice place. It's awful. It's not pretty. You can't dress your life up. You can't make it look good. There's an acknowledgement of need because you have a crisis and a, and, a, and a situation in your life that is bigger than your ability to control, bigger than your ability to solve. But you're humble in your heart because you acknowledge your need. And God says, I'll assist that person. I'll resist that one, but I will assist this one. I'll give grace, favor. My God, when the grace of God lands on your life or my life, it's life in the fast lane, friends. It is assistance and favor and blessing, and his grace is all over you. His grace is all over you because you've acknowledged your need. That's the first place. That's the first place where you need to be if you're going to receive a miracle. But it has to move on from acknowledging your need. You can't just live with the acknowledgement that you need something. It has to move beyond that. There has to be a confession of faith. There has to be a confession and an expression of your faith. People all day long just acknowledge that they're in need and nothing happens for them. Nothing changes in their life. They, 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 they fill clinics. They, they, they try self-help programs. They go here, there, and everywhere. There's an acknowledgement of need, but there's no confession of faith. There's no direction in their spirit as to where to go. David said, I cried to the Lord. What's that? That's an acknowledgement of need. But also it's a confession of faith because he named who he was crying to. I cried, acknowledgement of need, to the Lord. A confession of faith. And he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. There needs to be a confession of faith as well as an acknowledgement of need. And then beyond that confession of faith, there needs to be an act of obedience. I'm going to show you this in just two simple stories in a minute. Two simple stories where these three, four things happen. After that simple act of obedience, there's a demonstration of power demonstration of power. You see it in the Bible. You see it out there in life, out there where we all live, where we all work. When God moves, usually those four things occur before there's a demonstration of his power, an acknowledgement of need, a confession of faith, an act of obedience, and a demonstration of power. Carl, just two years ago, Carl, in, in Gypsy Church, there, there was a, a man, a father of four, fell off his cart, hit his head, rushed to hospital, and was in a coma for six months. And they came to the, the, Carl went down, laid his hands on them, prayed, and was visiting every week. Isn't it great to have faithful men of God that visit? Visit every week, maybe two, two times a week, visiting the family, serving them. Wonderful. That's the spirit of Jesus, friends. That's what that is. And um, it came to the day where they wanted to turn off the machine because there was no progression. The man was growing worse, actually. He was growing worse. And they came to turn the machine off. And the family began to cry out. There was an acknowledgement of need already. There was a confession of faith that they had made and they believed and they stood on God's word 
And now the point had come where they were going to turn the machine off. Carl went in with the family and they started to pray obediently. You see how these things work simultaneously and systematically and some once. Miracles are messy. And suddenly, the man was better. He stayed, he stayed on the machine for a few more months, and then suddenly they took him off the machine. They said to his wife, now this is a guy with four children, friends. We're talking about real-life situations here where children are going to get their father taken away or children are going to end up with a dad who can't talk to them, who can't function anymore the way he used to. And then Jesus comes in with miraculous power. Jesus steps into the crisis. I'm telling you now, there's only one person that can do it, and his name is Jesus. His his name is Jesus. And we agree on that, don't we? Come on. We agree on that. The man is well today, Carl. In his right mind. No adverse effects. Absolutely none. And he goes to gypsy church every week. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You really would. Because now this man has a testimony in his life where Jesus has come and healed him and made him whole. When his life was going to be taken away. Dave, Dave Coltard, we could go around the room. Dave Coltard was in a situation where somebody was in a serious condition. He went out for a run and he started screaming at God. Not in an angry way, but acknowledging need. Acknowledging need. Began screaming at God, praying. And then there was a confession of faith. There was acts of obedience where he went and laid his hands and prayed for that person. And you know what? We're talking life and death now, friends. That person is well and whole. Well and whole. Well and whole. I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of things that happen in this church behind the scenes that you would know never, you would, you would know nothing about. And there's a lot of wonderful things that happen in your life that we would never know anything about. God is at work. God is on the move. God does wonderful things. He really does. Let me begin. Oh, no, better not begin now, actually. It's a bit far in to begin. Let me just read to you, and we'll look at this this week and um, either next week or the week after. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to verse 26. Now, you see these four stages of a miracle operating in two people's lives. One was a man. His name was Jairus. Another was uh, an unnamed woman who had an issue of blood. We've referred to her over the weeks. But you see these wonderful elements that occur in a miracle when God moves in these people's lives. Let me read it to you. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus rose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly... A woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very hour. 
when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the repulse went out into all the land. Amen. Now you see these four simple things happening in these two people's lives. We could and we will look at other miracles in the Bible over the weeks and we'll see this. But Jesus is met, he's just finished speaking, he's met by a man called Jairus. And there's an immediate acknowledgement of need in this man's life and he communicates it to Jesus. First and foremost, he worships Jesus. And that word just means that he fell down prostrate and began to kiss him. He began to kiss his feet. He began to worship him. Sometimes the crisis and, and the, the, the problems of life restrict you in such a way they, they, they take that heart of affection and that connection that you've had and they break it apart and, and they reduce you to this person that has no praise in their mouth, has no worship in their heart. But this man is caught in a terrible predicament. He's facing an awful crisis and he runs to Jesus and he worships him. He kisses him. He adores him. And let me encourage you by saying this, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's ahead of us, no matter what tries to hinder us, no matter what circumstances say, no matter what devil tries to whisper doubt and fear and depression in your ear, let it, let it never take the praise, praises of God from your mouth. Just say, thank you, Father. Even if you hate it, even if you hate the circumstances that you're in, just be like Jesus when he was betrayed on that night. Oh, thank you, Father, for this. It's only by the Spirit that you can do that. When people are saying hateful things about you, when people are trying to, you know, uh, push you to the back of the queue and despise you, say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Happened to Colwyn and Anne many times on, in this church, on many occasions. And they were put at the back. Now they're at the front because God wanted them at the front. And every time the darkness came upon them, what did they say? Thank you, Father. It's not nice. It's not pleasant. It's awful. But thank you, God. Because you work all things together after the counsel of your will. And I will say thank you. Thank you. He worships Jesus. The crisis of his daughter dying. I mean, this is real life stuff. This is a messy, messy situation. The miraculous is gonna, about to just rip in there. But life is messy. It's chaotic. You want to move in the miraculous? How many people want to move in the miraculous? Come on, church. You're going to get called into the mess of life. You're going to get called into... into situations that are ugly, that are dark, that you don't know what to do with, and then suddenly the power of God is going to surge through every vein in your body, and, and you're going to bring order where there's disorder. You're going to bring blessing where there's chaos. You're going to bring life where there is death. You really are. Miracles are messy. This guy worships Jesus, having lost his daughter. What faith is that? Kissing his feet. The Bible says he was a ruler. He was a ruler. That was his title. 
He ruled lots of things. But that day, he couldn't rule what had taken his daughter out in his own home. He was a respectable man because he was a ruler. And yet life came suddenly, caught him off guard, and placed him in a circumstance and in a crisis for which he had no rule over. Let me tell you, there are some things in life, many things in life, we can think we've got everything under control, and then life turns. And I'm not trying to make you afraid, friends, because Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. But there are some things in life that catches us unaware. And this man was a ruler. He was, he was a stately figure. But he was desperate, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Don't you think his hand went on the body of his daughter to try and revive her and hold her and to keep her life for, for, for a few moments more? Don't you think that their hands, their hands went on their daughter, mum and dad's hands, relatives' hands went on that girl's body before she left the earth, before she died. Their hands went on, but their hands could do nothing. Their hands couldn't do anything. Their hands couldn't hold on to her. Her life went. And he said to Jesus, put your hand on her. Put your hand on her. Let me tell you, when his hand comes on your head, everything bows to his lordship. Drug addiction, anger problems, depression, fear, low self-esteem, bad self-image, when his hand, and he said, please put your hand on her. Put your hand on her that she might live again. There was an acknowledgement of need. He worshipped him. There was a confession of faith, an expression of faith, in that he recognized that only Jesus and his hand could bring order to something that was completely disorderly and chaos, chaotic. And then there was an act of obedience. Jesus said, let's go. Off they went. And after it all, there was a demonstration of power. He cleared the room of all the choir and all the dirge and all of the, the, the singers. And he said, arise. And she did. And she did. Amen.